0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Week Pastor Podcast, where we view Christianity through the lens of vulnerability
1: welcome to the week pastor podcast we are so thankful that you have joined us here today and i don't know why Sua keeps laughing every time i say week pastor it's the what, joy of on? the
0: lord manifesting oh my god this morning i'm
1: so, i'm so grateful that i can amuse you like this
0: yeah you are one of the most entertaining people i've <laughs> ever met and the best part is that i don't think you do it intentionally No,
1: i don't i really like don't. you couldn't be
0: like a stand-up comic
1: Oh, I'd be a but horrible I have stand-up so
0: comic. many entertaining stories about you that literally sometimes I'll randomly think of them and I'll just start laughing by myself.
1: Yeah, so yeah. many stories. I, you know, I, I wonder how we could like, how do we categorize that? That's just like, what is it? Is it just like, why, why do I do these things sometimes that can be entertaining? Not to everyone, because some people think <laughs> I'm actually very boring. But no, they some don't. People, they do. I don't think. Had, okay, out of all the say, words to
0: describe you, I don't think boring would ever now, be one of them my, my
1: wife would say sometimes i'm boring because I, I like to leave early from weddings you know because i'm get i get tired like once 9 9 30 hits i'm like i'm like a zombie so i'm just no, like i gotta go home go to sleep. that's
0: just being, yeah. getting old
1: that's true that's true i do have a lot of fun with the fam and my kids do i don't think my kids would ever say i'm boring they would definitely say i'm annoying but they wouldn't say i'm boring yeah that's I mean, for sure. you just
0: i don't know you're so you're so entertaining
1: it's because i'm a klutz um i say weird things and i don't know anyway but yes but i got a great <laughs> question so i got a great question for us today <laughs> okay so like we want to know a little bit more i want to know a little bit more and i know you say sometimes we talk about this stuff too much but like when you know oh, here we go yes is what it gonna
0: e- be sex or is it gonna be fitness
1: no it's gonna be more about like like sex attraction okay at what age <laughs> Do you believe you started to be attracted to, you know, a guy, a boy, a boy? Oh, a boy very
0: young. I was, like, I was like, really how young? into boys, like, like, I think like four, no way. Yes. I had a crush on a boy in my classroom in my four? preschool. Yeah. It was in Korea. So it has to be like, four, cause I left Korea at five.
1: Do you remember his name?
0: No, I don't remember his name, but I have a very vivid picture of him in my head. He was very handsome, as handsome as a four-year-old boy could be. <laughs> um, but the sad thing is, it was an unrequited love scenario because Why? he was not—he did not like me back. He liked this other girl.
1: So he was into girls at four years old.
0: Well, okay. This is my own perception of yeah. reality. I'm not the most accurate historian, especially at four. So I'm not really sure if this was exactly what happened. Okay. But in my recollection, in I had recollection. a crush on this boy uh-huh. and that boy liked this other girl. And I remember that girl was extremely cute. She would always wear like these pretty girly princess dresses. And I was wow, a bit of a old. like you want to use the word klutz. I was like, I always had food stains all over myself. <laughs> Like my mom would be like, you are the dirtiest person because I would just be covered in like sauces and like soups. And she was like, he's not going to like you if you act like this.
1: You know, in all the years that I've known you, I don't think I remember you doing anything that would categorize you as being a klutz.
0: Oh, one time, um, Pastor Clay and I, Pastor Clayton from Metro and I were walking into the Parks and Recreation building and it had snowed and there was like dry ice. And I was carrying a cup of Dunkin Donuts coffee. And I was walking and I slipped and I felt like on my knees, like I felt on my knees on a sheet of ice. I literally think my <laughs> knee broke because John felt it like a couple of weeks later because like, John, my knee's still hurting. And he's like, I think something's broken. Um, but I remember wow. I was so proud because I didn't spill my coffee.
1: <laughs> and Clay you just, you was very impressed. The position you got on your knees. <laughs>
0: But I was like, "You gotta! I gotta rescue my coffee, my two dollar coffee." So my coffee was safe, but I broke wow. my knee. I Jeez. broke my kneecap.
1: Okay, it's never, but I mean, but it's ice. That's not you being a klutz. Everyone will fall on ice, you know. Come on. But I but walk anyway. into
0: stationary objects all the time. And, all right,
1: so yeah. I, I, all right, but I, I need. So I want, I want to get a little bit more specific then, for okay. you. because all right, four. That's really that's yeah. young. All mm-hmm. right, so, uh, but when like high school, let's say high school. All right, Or junior high? I had
0: a lot of crushes by then, by okay. high school.
1: I need a name. Give me a first name.
0: In high school? Yeah. Hold on. Let me think about this. Okay. You're going to think I'm completely bonkers. You don't but I didn't have any crushes in high school. Okay. I had a lot How of crushes in high. middle school.
1: Okay. All right. Good. Give me somebody um, from middle school. of Just their first name.
0: So, so for some reason, because all of the boys I had a crush on were Korean,
1: Whoa, out of like, watch those Korean out of like
0: seven boys that I had a crush on, they're
1: like five of them
0: are named Daniel. <laughs>
1: you yeah, sure it was like, like the reign of the Daniels. Daniel?
0: Yeah, they were all like Daniel and then different variations of Korean do, do last names. Do you like
1: Daniel Haney?
0: Who does not like okay. Daniel Haney?
1: Daniel Haney. Okay. He right.
0: is so handsome. <laughs> it's Henny, Daniel Henny.
1: Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Henny. Yeah, Henny. Right. Okay. So, So, all right. So, one of the Daniels. Mm-hmm. Did you like, what did you do to get their attention? Like, did you do anything to get their attention? Did you try really hard hoping that maybe they ask you out? That kind of stuff.
0: In middle school?
1: Yeah. No?
0: Oh, okay. Can we rewind a little bit? Rewind a in little In middle bit. school, I didn't do much. But in, in this is so bad. In fourth grade, oh my when gosh. I was in Guate.
1: Fourth grade in Guate. I had a crush on
0: a Daniel. <laughs>
1: A Korean Daniel in Guate. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And, um, <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, like, I feel like my kids can't listen to this. This is so horrifying. Come on, fourth but, grade. But um, in fourth grade, you know, we would go to church. He was from church. So we would go to church and we would play soccer after service. Okay. And um, so we would wear shorts. Like Guatemalan weather is always summer weather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. would roll my denim shorts like three times to be sexy.
1: But this like, is I'll- kind of concerning
0: because I was in fourth grade.
1: Wait, you were rolling it up higher?
0: Like, yeah, I was like rolling my denim shorts higher so that I could Dude, show my more skin. You're so messed up. And I was in
1: fourth grade. You're so messed up, Sua. That's jacked up, girl. Fourth. Okay, hold
0: on. I just realized why you're calling me jacked up. You're looking at it from the perspective of like the male. I'm looking at it from the perspective of the like a parent. And I'm like, if my daughter did that <laughs> right now, I would grab her by yeah, exactly. a ponytail and bring her you're home. trying to show a
1: little bit more skin, make um, your shorts into Daisy Dukes.
0: It's a little concerning because I was only in fourth grade. Like, why was I so advanced? Right, so what I want
1: you to do, why are you so advanced? <laughs> so just don't be shocked when your girls are like that when they're advanced. Okay, that's that's interesting. But, but okay. recently,
0: I had a conversation with one of my neighbor friends because we were talking about um, like boys and you know how early girls nowadays seem to be kind of learning about the whole sexual attraction yeah. thing. And I did say to her, I don't necessarily think being precocious in terms of having a sexual attraction is correlated directly with being like promiscuous or being haphazard with sexual decisions. Because like I said, I clearly was extremely quote unquote advanced or like in terms of sexual opposite gender attraction. Like I started at four, uh, possibly earlier. But like I still didn't sleep with anyone until my husband and yeah, I didn't even yeah. kiss him. So like I don't necessarily think those things. You just wanted were correlated. the
1: emotional. You wanted that you wanted to feel the emotional like reciprocal like attraction and love and stuff like that at a young age. No,
0: I just like boys. Yeah. I yeah. just really like boys. Okay. I had the hots for them. I mean, I don't really of know course. how to explain it. I had hormones, I guess.
1: <laughs> okay. I don't know. Right. Okay, well, why don't the... we talk about you? Yeah, but that but that's that's awesome. <laughs> that's I just you you shock me sometimes like i would never think you'd be the type your fourth grade and you're rolling up your shorts three inches to make you a little short we played to get spin the bottle
0: in church in fourth grade
1: no you did not mm-hmm.
0: i did i you kissed the boy spin,
1: do you even know what spin the bottle is With you now? kissed the boy at church in fourth grade mm-hmm. it was in the um
0: it was in the you know the, it was in the community center that was next to the actual church and we would go into this little room and like 12 of us played spin the bottle
1: and you kissed the boy mm-hmm. at fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Dude, I would kill my daughter. And I was so happened.
0: happy because it was Daniel. Oh
1: my <laughs> God. Wait, and so you guys never like dated or anything? You never talked or anything like that after that moment? No, it was pretty
0: established that he liked me back.
1: Oh, um, okay.
0: So, like, I mean, it's fourth grade. Like, what do you do? You put your kids in, in the fourth grade. So there it's were crazy. I mean, kids are pretty aggressive. There were a couple of times when, because they knew that we liked each other. They oh would lock gosh. us up in a room together. What? And they would, like, lock it so we couldn't leave. And they would be, like, chanting things outside the door. Man. um I don't know. Like, That's and crazy. so, I mean, nothing happened, obviously. But I knew he liked me because he told me. And I told wow. him I liked him back. So we were, like, officially kind of into each other but i don't really think in fourth grade there's really a framework at that point anyway Absolutely. for like being a girlfriend or boyfriend yeah
1: yeah yeah but yeah. it
0: was a pretty established thing that so that continued from fourth grade until the middle of sixth grade which is when i moved to america
1: okay wow we so liked you each other from had, fourth grade guys, to sixth grade so you guys kind of liked each other for two years mm-hmm. wow okay yeah. do you do you still have any form of connection with this daniel no no
0: i would have so- Back then, we had social media, probably, but we didn't have any of that. Okay, so. so
1: like, just be honest. Have you actually ever searched them on Facebook to see if you can find them? I have. A- and you couldn't. I did find him. You I'm did. not Add him. You didn't add him. No. No. That's weird. Oh gosh, you guys have, same age. Guys I have. have
0: age. No, he's two years older than me.
1: Okay, so he. Okay, so so he was in sixth grade.
0: Okay. Um, I'm not gonna that's lie kinda, though. That,
1: yo, that's kind of. I, I was a little a sixth grader hitting on a fourth grade girl. I, That's messed up, man. That boy messed up. I was
0: a little disappointed.
1: What do you mean? Like how he Like, I wish
0: I hadn't searched him.
1: Oh, no. So that means you saw him, you're like, clearly, you looked better when you were younger. Not now.
0: It's not so much that he was bad. It's just... I think we idealize things in our heads, and so at, like, he probably didn't get any worse. It's yeah. just that I think over the years, I had romanticized it so much so, so, that he had to look like a Daniel Henney to really meet yeah. my expectations, which he did not.
1: It, it's kind of like you know you read a book, and then they make a movie out of it, and you're like, this is nothing like the way I really imagined it. Exactly. And it, the book is so much better, right? Exactly. So, so I
0: kind of yeah. wish I hadn't. Okay. So that he could right. look like Daniel Henney in my head. So
1: I really can't say anything. I mean, listen, my my first crush was when I was in fifth grade, and really um, fifth yeah.
0: grade. That's so delayed.
1: <laughs> no, no, but fifth grade. It was my first crush. I think I liked one girl before that. She was. Okay, Korean. Remember, don't
0: give last names.
1: Yeah, uh, her name. Uh, it's a Korean name, and ah, man, I don't know if I. I don't know if I. Maybe know
0: you me. shouldn't say it because if yeah, you say yeah, it, I don't. I don't it's even probably... know
1: yeah. yeah, so okay. anyway, but you uh, know, this was Palisades Park. I lived in Palisades Park. Uh she was just so athletic.
0: Wait, hold like, on. So your first crush was a Korean girl?
1: Was this Korean? I don't know gr- why I, th- I
0: find that surprising. So,
1: like, here's the thing. My memory is so bad. I don't know if she was my first or second. That's my problem. So the my real crush for 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 a long time was a girl, her name was Sunny. Um, like a Scandinavian. Korea? No, oh, Scandinavian, wow. blonde hair, blue eyes. I mean, she was beautiful she just moved in from out of town i don't remember where and she sat next to me the teacher put us together and so we became like super good friends like Mm. super like kind of best friends in class we would walk what grade is this fifth grade fifth grade we'd walk home together met her mother mother was beautiful as well she invited me for dinner we would eat dinner once in a while we became like so close and i don't know what happened but like you know our teacher one day said. Um, you know, are we gotta we gotta split some people up? You know, class is getting a little bit bigger. Who should we split up? And I don't know why I did it, but I pointed to Sunny like I want to be split up with Sunny because I don't know why I did that. And so the what split, split you us.
0: sabotage yourself?
1: So so the time to- at the time I didn't like her. I didn't have any kind of like well, like like romantic feelings i just love being her friend we were just such good friends
0: Wait, but that's so mean
1: yeah it is me so then she and then she pointed back to me like oh like it did, and then she and then we, we we actually sat apart for the rest of the year and once we sat apart this ended. is I, earlier on no once this is the weird thing about me when we were together i didn't have any feelings for her but then once she there was some distance now at that point then i actually really fell for her and i kind of i fell in love with her like i was like oh i want to i want to date her i want to ask her out and then i was just too scared to i didn't know what to do and again, I just had no game. And so th- there was I mean, nothing. It's hard to
0: have game in fifth grade.
1: There was nothing I could do. Like, you know, and then guys liked her, you because know, she was obviously very beautiful and things like that. But then I forget, I think it was sixth grade. You know, she you know, we still would from time to time, if we see each other on the on Broad Avenue, we'd walk home together and just kind of chat. But it was very different. The relationship was very different at that point. And she was in the same class with me at sixth grade as well. But she did tell my sister because she was walking home with my sister Susan one day. She did tell my sister Susan that she actually at one point really liked me,
0: like and romantically. Was,
1: yeah, and I was like, "Oh He's man, why? When so, well, you blew so that, scared. how come you I blew that I chance?" I just can't, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I was so skinny, I never should you would never want me to put out my shorts three inches. It has and nothing to do roll with being skinny. Clearly
0: she was into you, and then you sabotage yourself by I totally volunteering to split up.
1: Totally, totally sabotaged. What are you it. So anyway, anyway, yeah, so that was mine and but and, and I did try to look for her in, in Facebook, but her last name, I can't spell it. It's so hard.
0: <laughs> so I remember Wait, what, it. What but like was she Italian? No. She was no, you no, no. I, I think know. she was like Scandinavian. Was she, she was, foreign? Yeah, like was no, she an no, immigrant? No, she wasn't foreign. Oh, no, okay. No, she
1: grew up I think she moved oh, okay. from like the Midwest, And then she moved away in sixth grade. Her and her oh. mom had to move. Her oh. mother was a single parent. Um, and I think she did very well for herself. You know, they had a beautiful home in Powell Park. I still remember like the street where they lived, you know, and stuff like that. But I look for her on Facebook and I can't find her because I don't know how to spell like her last name. So
0: have you, you know, um I mean, to, from somebody who's had that experience, probably I would say it's best you don't find her so that she remains yes, 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 the yes, Scandinavian yes. blonde beauty. Oh my god! Because maybe she will not; she will be I a have, Scandinavian non-beauty. I,
1: I still, we, I still have pictures to prove her beauty. Okay, but you know, grade. here's what's
0: sad. Yeah. It's like I say this, like, oh yeah, I looked him up, and it was so disappointing. But you know, let's be real. Like, there's probably men out there who are googling me, and also. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, we should. I should have just left her as part of my memory. <laughs> so, like, let's let's not, you know, like, let's yes. not pretend that this is not like a reciprocal thing that's happening.
1: Man, you know, well, you know, this kind of segues really well into our topic, does today. it? Yeah, because we're going to be talking about people pleasing, right? Because if you have a crush on somebody, what do you want to do? You actually yeah. want to find ways where you could please them so they'll find I mean, out. That I think it's a like bit of you. a
0: stretch, but we'll go with it.
1: All right, anyway. Well, so people pleasing, I, Listen, if you're listening right now and you've never struggled with this, then you should probably just turn us off because <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think there's so many of us that we struggle. It, it's hard to say no to people because we don't want to disappoint people. We love the fact that we really want people to like us. And, uh, and for some of us, though, that has actually become like, a, I don't want to say a sickness, but it's actually compromised how you should be living your life. And for a lot of, lot of people, if you really struggle with people pleasing, it becomes a sickness in your life, meaning that, you know, like you just constantly depend upon the approval of other people. um, It's gonna, it's gonna really, uh, I think, minimize the quality of your life. And so, Sua, do you ever, do you struggle with people pleasing?
0: I struggle with it. Yes, but I struggle with it a lot less than I did previously. Um, So So what what did
1: it look like before when it was really bad, you know, and kind of like maybe you could share with the audience, what steps have you taken to get to where you are now?
0: So I was talking to my mom. My parents are here from Korea for the next month. And a half month and a half, and I've had a lot of interesting conversations with my mom, especially um, because I've been um, introspective over the few years, especially as after I became a parent. Like I think it kind of revealed to me a lot of what my own dynamic was with my mom and how Mm -hmm. she had shaped me a certain way. And um, I think one of the reasons why I am such a I was so prone to be a people pleaser was. It was like a generational thing yeah. because I, I shared this in a previous episode, but my mom grew up without a dad. And so um, one of the primary things that my grandma, like my mom's mom, made sure to put in my mom was, I don't care what you do, but no matter where you go like i do nobody should talk smack about you like you shouldn't yeah. do anything where people look down on you because of how you act or how you speak or mm. what you do mm. because i don't want anyone to say you you're like that because you were raised by a single mom yeah you know like that kind yeah. of and so yeah. what that puts in you is this constant awareness of how people are viewing her mm. um so her primary motivation for speaking the way she does or doing the things she does, the decisions that she makes, it's all based on how will people perceive people perceive me. Like yeah. I need to make sure people don't perceive me a negative way. Right, right. And right. I think even though she hated that, she hadn't quite worked through it. So she passed it on to my brother and me. Mm. Um this whole idea of like you need to behave a certain way where people don't look at you and judge your family, basically. Yeah. Like your judge your family situation. So I think a lot of my own people pleasing came from that like you know ma- not wanting anyone to think that i was lesser than yeah. and i don't necessarily have a reason like the way my mom you know didn't grow up in like you know she broke when she grew up in a broken family like i didn't have anything where i felt like i needed to prove myself necessarily yeah. but because that was so strong in my mom mm. anywhere i would go somewhere It was always running in the back of my head, like, I cannot do anything to bring shame upon the family or like, I need to make sure that people view me in a positive way.
1: So, but, but, you know, when I'm hearing you, Sua, your people pleasing was really a sacrificial type of people pleasing for the sake of the family, you know? Um, And I think definitely, you know, the people do that. People experience that because they're like, well, I can't bring shame on the family, uh, but was there anything like a real desire that you wanted to please people because you wanted them just to like you? Not not so that it's they see well of your family. Have you ever had it that sort of self-centered, like in but that I way? But I think it's,
0: it's, it, they play off of each other because I they think do? when okay. you go out and people do view you in a positive way because of yeah. the way your mom taught you and they compliment mm. you, then you start basing... like I Part of my identity was based on people liking me. Because right. I I was never, like, a super popular person in terms of, like, the way you, like, gauge popularity in a school. But I was always popular in the sense that I don't think I had anybody ever really hate me. Yeah. Like, I had very few people hate me.
1: Yeah. Um, Part
0: of that is my personality. Like, I'm a pretty easygoing person. But part Mm -hmm. of it is also, I think, my mom kind of putting that in my head. Like, always, the messaging was always, always view, see, scan how people are viewing you. And I think when people start then liking me, that becomes part of my identity. And now I don't want to lose that. So then you become more and more invested in making sure people like you, you know, because there's more to lose, you know? So yes, like absolutely. And I, how did that manifest? Like I would do, I think the most obvious way for me was I could never say no to people. Like Mm -hmm. if people would ask me to do things, I would just do it, even though I hated myself for it because I couldn't get myself to think like, What if I say no and they don't like me anymore? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like a really big problem for me. So, even if I didn't want to meet with a certain friend after school, I would just say yes because I was like, she's not going to like me if I say no. If somebody asks me to take notes for them at a class and I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I have my own. But no, I had to say yes because I felt like they were not going to like me if I said no. You know, all of these different things. if,
1: If we were in class together and I said to you, hey, is it okay if I cheat off of your test? Would you let me do it? No. No, you that's, would, that's, that's, where that's where I draw, draw the, line. the line
0: because I'd be like, you're not that's worth having the, the, moral, of. <laughs> the moral
1: police sua draws the line. Right. <laughs> well, just no, like, Cause oh, I hey feel on.
0: like, no, I mean, so, I mean, I guess it's because like I wasn't people pleasing with everybody. There were yeah, people, yeah, people, there yeah. are certain, like, if you did that, I would be like, you're not worth it. <laughs> 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 I've just cut you out. out I'd face. be like, yeah, I don't need no cheaters in my life, but, um, no, but, but for the most part, hmm. I I couldn't say no to anybody. Like yeah. I said yes to everything.
1: Everything. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 So I think extremes are really bad. Like when you think about certain things, I don't think, you know, um, it's, it's awful to be a people pleaser. I think you got to have some level, like you should want people to like you. If you don't want that, then you're in the other extreme where you can care less and you're just basically like, I can care less what you think about me. And I think the extremes are dangerous because they're both, they both have the same core of the issue. And the core of the issue is a a lack of self-awareness, which leads to a really low sense of self-esteem. Right, and so that's I think where the genesis of people pleasing comes is when you have just a lack of self awareness, and uh, and because you're not fully aware of who you are and no understanding some of the good stuff about you, but also some of the bad stuff about you, uh, you're just not able to you know to to really live life in a way where you can feel comfortable in your own skin. Therefore, you want to people please, right? Or you go to the other extreme: screw you, I'm just going to hurt you before you hurt me. That's kind of it. And I've met people on both extremes and they're both bad. They're actually- Or type three, bad.
0: you're a sociopath.
1: Right. Or type three, or yeah, and we're you not going to cover that. They literally have no empathy. Yeah. Because we're not going to hit that part off because <laughs> we don't know much about that. But I'm just saying that there's- some, for yourself. I, I
0: have read many articles about okay. sociopathic behavior, sociopath. but that's another episode. Well, f- well, feel
1: free to share some of no, that, that stuff. That's but that's another episode. All I would say is, I, I think for, for our audience listening right now, where do you fall? In that line like if there was a scale of one to ten one being you can care less and your job is to hurt somebody before they hurt you like you just don't care right and then are, are you at that point where you just can't say no because listen this will impact every area of your life it would impact your relationships with the people you love the most it certainly affects your leadership if you're in a leadership position it affects your leadership position in a huge way like it's it's a it's huge it's one of the greatest downfalls of every leader like for me Sua, when i first started metro and i started to have multi staff and and we started to grow our staff and you were part of us during that time when we had underperforming staff people and i, and I went through years of therapy through this because i couldn't bring up Things that I felt like they were not performing well in because I didn't want to hurt them I I didn't want to like and I would say this to my counselor I don't want to destroy their lives and he's like really you think that's gonna destroy the lives But for me because you know, I think in extremes Mm -hmm. I feel like what I'm gonna share is so bad with them that they're gonna get so hurt by it And as a result of it, they're not gonna like me anymore. And so it really affects your leadership because when on. you have a staff member where you need to confront them and give them some feedback, you actually hold off on. You, you just decide not to because you're afraid you're going to hurt them. Can I ask so you I, it, yeah.
0: something? This is slightly off topic, but I'm very just yeah. curious. That's why yes. I want to ask you this. So you know how you have shared openly about how you are very, very um, hypersensitive to criticism? Yes. In the early years of oh, your ministry. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Um. So... Do you think that it's correlated? Like the way you felt they would respond? Is that because you responded that way to other people giving you negative criticism? Like if somebody critiqued you, did you feel like it was ruining your life? Like why would you think yes.
1: Yes. like it's it's kind of yes. like, is yes. it
0: correlated with how you yourself receive criticism? And that's why you think others also yes. receive criticism that way. Absolutely. Now my question would be though, has that as that has changed for you? Because now you're yes. almost welcoming? Constructive yes. criticism. Do you feel like that journey kind of also correlates with an ability to see that it's not really destroying yeah. a person's life? Like, do you think those are linked?
1: Absolutely. Uh- Absolutely. They're all linked together. So in the past, if somebody would give me feedback, they would share something with me, like at church or things like that. You know, I I said this before in a previous podcast, you know, uh, didn't like your sermon or Peter, I've never even heard you preach. Why should I be a part of this church plant? Mm. Like I took that harshly. Like, oh, you think I suck? And part of that is just deeply rooted in shame. Like just, you know, just in my own upbringing, you know, like I said this before, if you grow up in a home where you are actually physically abused by a parent, um, it really makes you feel like you are lesser than right because if a parent can Mm -hmm. beat you for no Mm -hmm. reason at all yeah my parents shouldn't be beating you anyway yeah but when a parent can beat you for no reason at all just because they are struggling with their own issues it does something to your formation growing up and you constantly feel like something is wrong with you and so because the wounds haven't healed and i hadn't gotten to a place where those healed you know, like, yeah, if I heard a feedback from somebody, I felt like they were attacking me. Like, why are you attacking Mm -hmm. me? And so I naturally brought that in when I was leading. I just didn't want to confront people on certain things. I hate, I absolutely hated it if I had to. And eventually I had to do something, right? And uh, but I just was so afraid that they were going to hate me, that they weren't going to like me. And I realized at the end of the day, the the, the deep root of that. Yeah, it's shame, but it's a lack of self-awareness for me, a lack of self-awareness and just my deep need to want people to really like me. And so it changed the way how I lived, and it changed how I responded it it, you know everything just changed and and that's why you know for me uh i think if we really want to grow from this if, if you are in either extremes where you can just care less about what people think of you and so you just go and say and hurt people that's really destructive and that's also uh, probably a deep symptom of your shame as well and uh, and your lack of self-awareness. And it's the same way if you can't say no to people. It's just the lack of shame and probably your lack of uh, self-awareness. So the greatest gift you can give to yourself is self-awareness. You got to just grow. You got to learn. You got to figure out why uh, you do certain things. You got to figure out why it hurts when people give you feedback or you got to figure out why you're so prone to just lash out and hurt people and just say, I don't care. I don't care because that's wrong, right? Because the Bible does command us to love people, love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this is a real big issue. This is a real big issue. And I think for me, over the years, what's helped me has just been just dedicating myself to trying to grow in deeper self-awareness. And the only way you can grow in self-awareness, folks, it's it requires more than self-reflection. The only way you can really grow in self-awareness is you actually need people to give you feedback, mm-hmm. to grow. Because like my wife, Knows knows me better than I even know myself, right? Uh, my close friends know me; they see me do certain things, and they have to give me uh, sort of feedback. You have to welcome it, and um, and yeah, and so and counseling has been a tremendous help to help me to grow deeper self-awareness and understanding of who I am and uh, and why I do the things I do. And then you can really make a choice. And then after I started to see and experience really positive things coming back from feedback from people, um, I'm able to receive it as like a term of endearment. And I would say on top of that, even though people give feedback with the intentions of wanting to hurt me, it doesn't bother me as much anymore like it used to. Because for me, I'm just like, okay, like I know who I am. I know who I am. And so I'm able to just kind of keep moving forward. Does it hurt? Of course, it it always hurts. Like it always hurts. But it doesn't destroy me. Like I'm able to move forward, you know, and stuff. And so, yeah. So I think that's kind of where I'm at with that.
0: I think that is interesting. Like a couple of things about, like I'm thinking about a couple of things you said. Like when you say um, self-awareness, the, the thing that I think about is, yes, obviously identify the patterns of what triggers you, why it triggers you, maybe the origins of why that is so devastating to you. But I think ultimately it'll, I mean, I feel like it's such a cliche and I sound like a broken record I say this every single episode, but I think self-awareness, those are the superficial things, right? But ultimately, I don't think you're ever going to become like ever be able to not be a people pleaser. If you are not yeah. fully aware of who you're actually supposed to be pleasing or who yeah. who's you're supposed to be. So, mm-hmm. yes, self-awareness in the sense of like identify your patterns, identify, you know, the things that you do and your behavior. But at the core of it, it's like, do you really know who you are and who's you are? And I don't think no matter how much therapy you go to and how many self-help books you read, yeah. if you really don't understand that God loves you just as you are and that, unconditionally you are accepted and loved by God. Yeah. I don't think you can ever stop being people a yeah. people pleaser because you know we're always looking for like something to you know give us worth, right? right? To our lives, to our name, to who we are. And so if we're not filled at the Yeah basic level from god who tells us that you are mine i am pleased with you like i accept you i love you unconditionally you are good i made you and i said you are good like if we don't believe that really believe that absolutely we can't like i I really can't and so even for me personally like if i don't if i am not like meditating on that regularly you can see it in the way i respond to people in the way that you know i i react when i hear certain critique and um it's hard Because also, not everyone who gives me critique is doing it with good intentions. Yeah. Um, This is something I've also learned. Like, yes, you're right. Like, let's give people, um, like, let's not be so arrogant to think that only we know ourselves, because there's parts of ourselves that we only find out in relationship that we might not know. So if somebody gives me critique about how I am, I can't say, that's you don't know who I am. That's not who I am because there's yeah. parts of who I am yeah. that are only really known to others who view mm-hmm. me from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we have to humble ourselves and say, yeah. yes, y- I think you are right. But at the same time, I think we have to protect ourselves also and know that not every single person who gives us critique is doing it with the right intentions and the best right. intentions. Right. And we can only um, like sift through those yeah. if we, like you yep. said, kind of are rooted in who we actually are in our identity in Jesus, well, right? I
1: mean, Sue, you just said something really important. So it's not, the goal isn't just to grow in self-awareness, but like, you know, because I know I say that and it's the greatest gift you can give to yourself. Yes. The reason why it is, I agree. is because when you can grow in self-awareness, then you know how God has made you, you know, like right. all the beautiful stuff about you, but also all the negative things and the things that you struggle with. But God loves all of you. He loves all of you, and if you don't know even the bad stuff about you, then how are you going to love all of who you are? How are you going to ever know you're a child Mm -hmm. of God? You're just going to be completely oblivious to it. So, Sue, exactly what you said. Knowing who you are, that you truly are a child of God, is so paramount in living your life so that you're not going to be a slave to being a people pleaser or being a person that just wants to hurt everyone. You have to know who you are so that you can realize that when Jesus died for you on the cross, he died for all of you. Mm -hmm. the bad stuff Mm -hmm. as well and you embrace that and then you truly are able to receive and and live out and believe within your heart that you truly are a child of god and so i just could only really speak to the people right now who are listening if you're a pastor and you're listening i really want to encourage you this is this could change your life it can change your ministry because being a pastor Sua, it's so much about people pleasing right because if people don't like you people don't like your sermon like it's it's But our job, honestly, like when I think about it, the reason why it's so hard, like some people sometimes say, oh man, you know what? You, uh, you just preach once a week and it shouldn't be that difficult. The reason why our job is really difficult is because many times, like, we get sucked into this people pleasing mode. Mm-hmm. Like, we mm-hmm. can't say no. Somebody say, hey, I'm really struggling. I want to meet with you. And you're struggling too. And you're, and you got a lot going on in your life. Like, we feel like we can't say no. Like, okay, we'll meet you. And we keep doing it, which we're, we're like literally leading on empty. We're giving people stuff that we cannot give to them because we have nothing left in our right. tank. but yet we're still doing that and a part of us ends up dying and that's how we burn out like that and so we just can't say no and so this is why this is so critically important that we really try to grow and understand who we are and what are some of our limits and live within that otherwise we're going to struggle with this and being that's why the pastoral life is only a five-year lifespan because it's just only so much you can do. And if we can finally get to the place where we're going to say, I am not going to just do this to please people. I'm doing this because God's called me and I can only please God. And that's it. And fully learn and learn even how to say no. Learn how not to even, you don't have to respond. This is my struggle, Sue. Like I still feel a need. So I still struggle with people pleasing. I still feel a need to respond to almost every email that I get. And I have friends. I have friends who are, you know, um, they get, you know, lots of emails from all these different folks and stuff like that. And they tell me, I don't respond. I'm like, really? How, how do you deal with that? Like, if somebody's responding and they're asking you for something or they're asking a question and you don't respond, you don't feel like a jerk? Like, you don't feel like you're going to hurt them, disappoint them? It's like, well, like, I, I just, I have a certain amount of time that I could do the things that I can do. And, for me, I am not going to respond to emails that uh, th- that people send me that I don't even know. Like I don't have no relation with them. I'm not going to send. I'm not going to spend time doing that. And I'm just blown away sometimes when I when I meet fr- when I have that good friends like this. I'm just like, question. you guys have really learned to balance your life and live within your limits. And as long as you live within your limits, you feel good regardless if somebody thinks you're bad. You're deep mm-hmm. DB is that douchebag? DB, you Are know, I'm I allowed to say
0: that. I'm just kidding. But you know,
1: but 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 really, being a pastor, being a leader, you constantly like feel like you need to please people.
0: But is that ple- like okay? Can I ask you though about that yeah. particular point? And you're right, like the number of emails that pastors especially get probably after a Sunday sermon is probably a lot and it's probably crazy to try to respond thoughtfully to each and every one of those emails. But is it really out of a sense of your people pleasing that you feel the need to respond or is it more a sense of duty that like you're the shepherd like you like these people kind of are owed a response like you really think it's because fully because you're just trying to please them and you don't want these people that you don't know to not be mad at you?
1: You know, I think it's a balance of both. Uh, but but i will say though like for me it's not i think for metro for people who who send stuff via metro stuff like i do feel always like i need to respond if, especially if there's a lot of questions in there like to me it's a no-brainer you got to respond i'm just talking about um like random always,
0: people
1: yeah random people but always just feeling a need to do that and 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 not letting the main motivation be i just got to do it because i i don't want them to think that i'm a, a db you know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm this bad person and I don't care about them. And uh, and yeah, you know, and, and there's just so, uh, you know, I, I struggle with it regularly because sometimes people write like discourses in an email. It's like,
0: you know, I, Pastor like David Hosang, who has pages. recently went gone back <laughs> yes. to California where it's nice and sunny, once said to me when he first came to New Jersey, he said, it's really interesting coming from california to new-, new jersey like a new yeah. york city suburb because the kinds of emails that he gets from the people in the east coast are extremely different both in length and content yeah like he was like in california people write me like one-liners and in the east coast like i'm getting five paragraph emails are you like, serious it's just, yeah he said it's just like the vibe is just different so maybe wow. you just need to go back to california <laughs>
1: Man, I don't know. But anyway, I would say, yeah, the emails, some some emails can be incredibly long. And it's just, it takes so much time to to read through it and to really try to answer it well. And so, yeah, there's always that struggle. You know, do I do I do that or just say, hey, listen, let's just get together and talk it through, you know, things like that. But I just want to encourage our, our folks who are listening in any type of leadership position, particularly in pastoral ministry. Um, people-pleasing will actually really impede and it will hurt your leadership, especially when you are called to lead a church and you have multiple people on your staff and you can't really challenge them and confront them and uh, and really talk to them and just say, listen, you're not doing well. There are some issues I have with you right now. We need to talk through this. And I still struggle with it. It's not an easy thing for me, but I have to do it. I know that I have to do this. This is a part of, part of my job that I have to do that. And like for so long in the past, I, I oftentimes, like, put it on hold many times because I was just so afraid. I was afraid that if I shared something, if I gave feedback or I just felt like I just, I would really disappoint them. And so I, I, it really affected how I lead and and it's been different now and Mm -hmm. I've been able to grow uh, within that, but it's, it really is. It's a real big challenge. It's a real big challenge. So Sue, for you, like how have you been able to overcome people pleasing?
0: Well, since you're sharing about your own, um, like your own, calling and ministry and how this applies like i did want to say something about being a stay-at-home mom and how this plays out well in the beginning i will say it was really um in the beginning of being a stay-at-home mom it was kind of difficult because i think i if i think about it i really did crave the affirmation of other people for the output that i was giving out sure
1: Sure. and so
0: when you become a stay-at-home mom your kids don't i mean your kids love you and say they love you but they're not necessarily acknowledging all of the work and sacrifice that you do for them. And there's no real output right at the end of the day. Mm. So there's nothing for me to show people and say, this is what I've worked on in the past three weeks. Like, like, please give me a grade or at least like affirm me or tell me Mm. I did a good job. Like nobody really says, you did a really good job today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just something that you just have to accept that this is part of my current ministry and hope that one day in 20 years, my children will look back and say, I did a great job. But there's mm-hmm. no immediate, like, there's no regular affirmation from anybody about the output yeah. that I'm giving. There's yeah. no output, like, there's no visible output. Yeah, yeah, so I think yeah. That was kind of hard. But the other part is, I have, there is temptation even for me as a parent to be a people pleaser with my kids. Sure. Like, there's, Like there's times when my kids are clearly doing things that they should not be, but sometimes I don't want to discipline them because I don't want them to be mad at me. Like Mm. I don't want them to hate me, you Mm. know, and I have to say, at least for me personally, that has gotten easier after I became a stay-at-home mom. This was much more common for me when I used to be a working mom. And I think Mm. it was because I had a lot of guilt about not spending enough time with my children. And so when I come back after not seeing my kids all day, I didn't want to spend the two hours that I have with them disciplining them. Yeah. And I wanted them to like me. And I think um, this can also play out even as a parent, like wanting your kids to like you more mm. so than um, being a parent. Yeah. But I think that could be a very, very dangerous road to go down on. Mm. Because I once heard um, a pastor at my current church say, if you don't discipline your children lovingly, the world will discipline them unlovingly
1: yes um, and I think
0: that's so true and so, so i have to sometimes tell myself like my job as a parent is not to be their friend like my job as a parent right. is not for them to like me and think that's right i'm nice like my job as a parent is to guide them and discipline them as need be and really show them right and wrong and give Absolutely. them a framework but it is not to be their friend. Absolutely. And so yeah, I hope they like me, and I hope they have fun with me, and yep. I hope they love me. But my priority is not to have them like me. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that you know I'm in my 30s now, being a parent, and not in my 20s. Because mm. in my early 20s, I really think it would have been hard for me to you know, be mad at them and discipline them mm. because I would have been so preoccupied with like how they will perceive me in that yeah. moment, which is so like crazy. If you think about it, like they're my kids, like why yeah. should I care whether they like me yeah. or not? But it was so deep seated for me and that, that need for everybody to like oh, me yeah. that it would I have completely yeah.
1: played out with my children. Like, like I'm the good cop of my, in my parenting and Jenny's the <laughs> bad cop like they don't When my kids want something when they were little they never asked her because they know she's gonna (laughs) say no so they always come to me like christian even till this day he always comes to me like yeah dad can i do this i'm like yeah it's fine go for it you know stuff. lucky uh, you and and jenny is like what are you doing what are you doing like you know and so they know that if they go to mom mom's gonna say no and this is the sort of the thing that i that i you know jenny my wife is like the opposite so she does want people to like her it's not like she doesn't want people to like her but she doesn't live her life for the approval of other people and i'm so envious of that because i'm like wow that is so nice and and the other the only child in my family uh, that has really that is christian and i envy it so much in christian because i just said as it i said i call him i call him papi i said Poppy, if if i had that ability to live my life as a kid and as a teenager now in high school where you're living your life where you don't have to please other people, I just think my life would've been so much better. Like I would've maybe had so much more peace, you know, and things like that. But I lived my life many times with a lot of anxiety, hoping that people will like me and what's gonna happen. you know. Because when you grow up in a very racist school, you have anxiety just walking into the building. Mm-hmm. And my goal, my goal so that they would stop making fun of me and bullying me was my goal is to be liked. Because if I can't be liked, they're going to keep making fun of me because I'm Korean. And that's why I joined wrestling. I hated wrestling. <laughs> I mean, Suha, I was so skinny. That wrestling outfit was baggy like, on me.
0: When I look at you, I'm like, I would not immediately think wrestler. Exactly. Even then, I don't think tall I would have thought wrestler. Should, tall
1: people have no business wrestling, right? I was so skinny and so tall. Like, I shouldn't. But the only reason why I did that was because it was the most popular sport in my high school. If you wrestled you would be accepted. And so that's why I wrestled. I hated wrestling. I, I absolutely hated it. But I did it because I wanted to be accepted and I want people to like me and stop work? bullying me. Yeah, it did to some oh, degree. Okay. Yeah, And they okay. stopped. They would make fun of other. Uh, when I was in high school in Palm Park, they would make fun of other Asian people, but they'd be like, but not you, Peter. You're cool. And You're I'm like, one well, of us. Not, but I said, at least I'm, at least they're not making fun of me. But at the same time, now I was becoming a coward right you're, More like, of a you're like you know you're like these tax collectors yeah <laughs> yo Sua, i was like you know these because these other korean Chater kids cater to coming your own Korea, they were looking at me like why aren't you defending us like at least you're with these guys you should say hey guys leave them alone all right you know they're, they're good yeah. people but like they're looking at me like how come you're not helping and defending us and for me i was just so scared i was so scared if i did that then they would no longer like me and so for me this runs so deep so I have an incredible amount of empathy for those who who, who struggle with people-pleasing. Um, you know, I think Kayla is kind of like in the middle there. You know, Christian is really like on the side of like in a health like Jenny. Kayla, I think, is, could maybe be a little bit more like me than Jenny. But I think she's more like Jenny in some ways. But Christina is like me. You know, Christina and I are so similar. And she and I have had very long talks about this in the car, just in life. And I just I tell her because I know her because she and I are so similar, we're wired so similarly. I just said, you know, Christina, like you know, as you are now, you know, she's the president of Innovarsity, she's teaching, she's a, I thought she's a professor, she teaches a freshman I'm just class so at Rutgers. Proud of her. So she's like growing in so many of these things. But I just said, just just please, I said, honey, please, like as because you definitely have all these leadership gifts. But I just said, honey, please, like don't people please, like don't live for the applause of other people, don't live for their approval. And she's like, you know, dad, it's not easy. And I was like, I know you're my daughter. I'm sorry you got that from me, you know, but like you can do better. And she is, and she's in a, she's so much in a better place than and- I ever was. And that's why she's so far ahead of, I will ever be in that way, especially at her age in college. Oh gosh. Like I wish I could be like her but when I was I in don't,
0: college. I, I don't know what Christina is like with her peers, obviously. And I only know mostly from what you tell me about her, but I would have to believe that even though, yes, there are people pleasing patterns, both for you and Christina, the identity thing is so different from where you guys come from, because she came from a loving family, belonging with a sense, very strong sense of belonging, um, knowing that you guys accepted her and loved her unconditionally as parents. And so yes, people pleasing patterns happen. I think most of us struggle with it in some way or another, but I, I don't, uh, just from the outsider's perspective, I yep. can't imagine categorically it's the same kind yeah. of yeah. Um, people-pleasing that yeah. you struggled with, because you guys fundamentally come from yes.
1: different circumstances, yes. Yes. you know? I agree, I 100% yeah. agree. I'm so proud of her. And I, so for me, as, as we get close to wrapping up here, I, I wanna encourage our audience like, so yeah, go see a counselor, those are all great. But here, here's the one thing I think that was a game changer for me. I don't know if there was like a game changer thing for you, Sue, that's helped you to grow because you're not a people pleaser. I don't see you as a people pleaser, you know, the way you were earlier on in your life. So for me, I think the biggest, the most important thing that I've had to sort of come to grips with is that if I'm truly going to be, if I'm truly getting a value in my life of being vulnerable or being weak, that's what this podcast is about, about being vulnerable, um, being who I am, not with everyone, but with a few people in my life that I can just be completely honest and raw with, what happens then is that when you're able to be like that, when you can confess things about yourself and invite some, like a few people to be a part of your dark little worlds, it allows you then to be to even embrace feedback because you're being very honest with who you are when you cannot be honest with yourself and actually share that in 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 a small community i think it'll be really difficult for you to ever sort of break free from this desire to want to please people and so i you know this idea of intimacy and what i've learned sua um as i'm getting older as you get older you know because god created us for relationships when you don't have intimacy Like, not sexual intimacy, I know we talk about that a lot, but when you don't have intimacy, meaning being fully known, that there's one Mm -hmm. or two people in this world that know everything about Mm -hmm. you, when we don't have that, we are living antithetical to how God's created us. And as we get older, what happens, you know, David Hosang says this all the time, he says, we get weird. We just get really, really weird. And what I'm saying is, if you go a little deeper, is because because you're not in touch with yourself, you're just not able to be in any relationships with other people, and then you begin to struggle in so many other ways. Where you know you 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 know the midlife crisis, that's all stems from this lack of intimacy, and so being vulnerable, embracing this posture of weakness, allows you to have more deeper intimate relationships with other people. And then in those relationships, like for me, those relationships are so key for me so that they can they can really speak truth into me. And I know that it's never going to come from a bad place. They're going to share this because they truly do love me and care for me. And so that's why I highly encourage you to say, would you like starting today saying, I'm going to do my best to try to live a vulnerable life, not with everyone, but maybe one person. I'm going to start opening up and sharing And experiencing as you do that, because a lot of times we don't share that because we're afraid that they may not love us or they may like reject us if they really found out what stuff that we've done. Um, Once you see how much they still love you and support you and how it goes deep, your relationship goes deeper, man, it almost like it becomes addicting. Like you're just like, wow, you know, this is great. And this is what God's really created me for to have this kind of intimacy. And if you're married, you know, that person cannot. your spouse i just don't think it can be and i've said this before like your spouse can be your best friend but if you're you know but they can't be your girlfriend they can't be your boyfriend like in that sense you know like pastor kevin said this and, and i thought it was really great kevin swanson used to be our executive pastor at metro he said to his wife he said linda i can be your best friend but i can't be your girlfriend you gotta go find a girlfriend and you got to nurture relationships with other women. And that's the same thing. And that's why I think like it's important to have gender-based, real deep, deep relationships. Gender-specific um, you know, relationships like that. So anyway, that's just my thoughts there. And I want to give our audience a little something in terms of to sort of break them free from people-pleasing. Yes, growing in self-awareness, but as you're in these deep relationships. But choose to live a weak life. Choose to live a life where you're going to say, I'm going to be vulnerable with one person you know, in my, in this world, whoever it might be. And hopefully that person will be vulnerable with you as well. And there will be that reciprocation. So what about you, Sue? What's helped you along the way in terms of, uh, being, uh, being a person that doesn't please people as much as you did before.
0: I mean, I'm just going to say part, I mean, other than what I've already said about the whole question of identity, I think for the most part, when I talk to people, it seems that there is a general trend as you get older where you do become or at least from my circle of acquaintances and friends, you do become less people pleasing as you get older. Mm-hmm. And I would like to attribute that mostly to like kind of understanding what your priorities are and yeah. um kind of learning more like and growing in self-awareness. But as you're talking, I'm like thinking about um, so like my daughter got baptized recently. And one of the nice. questions that they ask them, um, for all of us, is a questionnaire that they say, How has your life changed before? accepting Jesus as your lord yeah. and after um and this was a very interesting question because i don't think i've ever been asked that like i've always mm. been asked you know um have you accepted jesus um or you know like like how did you come to accept jesus but i don't think i've ever been asked in my mm. life how has your life changed specifically because you accepted jesus as your lord mm. um because th- inherently really the question good. is what are the fruits of your life? Like, what fruits are you bearing in your life, right? Yeah. And it was very interesting to ask my 10-year-old that because I was like, well, she's 10. Like, what fruit does she have? But she did give me a couple answers. And one of them, which I think applies, she was like, I have three. So I was like, all right, (laughs) go girl. But one of them, which she said was so interesting because she said that after accepting Jesus, she no longer is phased by what people say about her. Wow. And she said, people used to say, you're like one girl actually had said to her, she's a stupid Korean, and there, yeah, wow. and there were people who had said, you know, you're short, you're a midget. Somebody called her a midget. She's yeah. very short. Um, a, a problem you pro- clearly cannot identify with my wife or your family. No, my wife. Uh, well, minus Jenny, and then yeah. you know, she was like, some kids have called me stupid and all of these things, and before I would feel so sad. But she said, because Jesus told me that's not who I am. She's like, I don't care what Dang. they
1: say. she was like, oh, I will,
0: I, I will think about what God said about me. And God that's did not awesome. say any of those things. Yeah. And I feel like fundamentally that's what it is. Right. But the problem is, do we not know what God says about us? I mean, yeah. In your head, maybe in yeah. our heads, maybe logically we can spew out. Yeah. yeah. Like God yeah. thinks I'm great. Like God loves me. God sent his son for me. But do we really believe it? Do really like do we it. do we yeah. live as if we really believe it? Yeah. If somebody saw us and the way we make our decisions, the way we do our relationships, would they be able to glean from that this is a person who genuinely believes that they are loved by God unconditionally? I think that is a very big question Amazing. we have to think about yeah. because even if we say we believe it, if our lives don't show it, yeah. maybe there's a disconnect there. And I think I would like to challenge all of us to really ponder do, do our lives and the way we live our lives and the way we mm. do our relationships and the way we make our decisions doesn't reflect that because if it doesn't yeah. maybe it's time you think about yeah that
1: and and um you know i'm just trying to get my thoughts because as you're saying as you're talking i just thought of this great question to ask like how do you know if you truly are a child of god like Mm. ask that question Mm -hmm. how do you truly Mm -hmm. know that you are a child of god how do you like what are some of the things and here here it is as i was hearing you talk here it is audience if you can receive feedback Mm. if you can receive Mm. feedback and you don't think they're trying to attack you and you're receiving it in a sense where you see it oh it's a term of endearment from not not from strangers from people who are closer to you people that you know people maybe that you work with okay if you can receive feedback, then I do believe that's a clear indication of fruit um, mm-hmm. that, that one could say, you know what? I actually am believing that I'm a child of God because I can receive mm-hmm. feedback. Or mm-hmm. if somebody says something terrible to me, I can still live and I can, it, it, it'll affect me a little bit. But at the end of the day, I know Jesus loves me. I know I'm a child of God. And I know I'm a queen, a princess or a prince to the king of kings and lord of Mm -hmm. lords. I can just live Mm -hmm. my life. You know, I think that's a great indicator. So, you know, the question is, yeah, how do you know if you're a child of God today? Do you really believe it? How do you know you believe in it? Can you receive feedback? Mm. Can you? And can you really confront And give feedback to people that you really love and care for. Because if you see somebody that you love and care for going away in a direction that you know is not healthy and it's dangerous and you don't have the courage to share it with them, then maybe you don't really believe that you're a child of God either because you're Mm -hmm. holding that back. Because why would you want somebody that you love and you care for? why would you want them to head down a down downward spiral in their life because you're so afraid to confront and share with them that you got to be careful so anyway i think those are some thoughts listen if you have an example of a struggle of people pleasing or you have a an example of how it's affected you and a, a scenario in your life that that makes it real difficult for you not to say no um, you know things like that would you please share it with us on our you know, on our social media on our facebook on our instagram or even on our website you can email it to us and you know you can go to weekpastor.org and you can email us any of that stuff and we love your feedback on it so we just want to thank you so much for listening and we hope that you'll join us next week take care bye <laughs>